Kimberly here. This is Macabish, cults, classics, and horrors. We're talking films, series, books, and life, and we're starting right now. Doing Bordello of Blood. That took everything off the rails. As I said, Tales from the Crypt was, was a strange for its mm-hmm. time because it really was at that time that we made it the feature world and the tv world were, were two different worlds right they did not commingle in any way like they do now we're living in a golden age of television uh back then you know you had the occasional tom hanks who would cross over robin williams would cross over but mm. you'd only went from tv to feature if you were a feature person suddenly landing in tv <laughs> that meant your career was was heading for the exits yeah oh yeah and writers certainly tv writers did not write features mm-hmm. and feature writers did not write tv shows but tales from the crypt broke all that and so we really we became this strange hybrid doing a uh an anthology also made it an unusual thing because there were no standing sets no regular cast of characters except the crypt keeper Right, and so every single episode is completely new. It's it's a it's the it's the wheel reinvented every single week, and doing it as as a as a feature, in mm-hmm. essence, with a feature dynamic. Again, that also created it. It set us on a on a journey that we had not expected, and suddenly we were attracting a terrific audience. We were getting actors, and the yeah the franchise was was doing great and universal said wow hey let's well i think joel approached universal and said hey let's make a couple of feature films uh and w- why not the you know we were we were on a, a completely upward uh, uh upward trending line and universal made a deal for three feature films the mandate was make three different feature films one completely separate from from each other now, originally, Gil and, Gil and I were going to write, and he was going to direct the first one. But the, 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 the Crypt partners, they, were, they really wanted to do uh, Demon Knight. Mm-hmm. And Gil didn't want to direct. You know, we'd, we'd been doing, in essence, a monster, monsters for, for three seasons at that point. Right. Uh, and we had in mind, there was a script called Dead Easy that we had in mind that, that we kind of liked. It was a psychological thriller. Then there were a couple other things we're looking at, but we wanted to do something different. We really aspired, you know, we wanted to use, hey, you know, Crypt had, had, had changed our world. We, mm-hmm. we were poised to do whatever we wanted. And so we wanted to use the set, you know, we wanted to use the Crypt features to, to help us, you know, to, mm-hmm. to be more than just horror guys. If we could be horror guys plus, that's a good thing. Right. Uh, you know, we aspire, but uh, they wanted to do Demon Knight. We Gil didn't want to direct Demon Knight, and so we brought in Ernest Dickerson to direct that. And the deal was going to be that the Gil would direct the second mm-hmm. uh, crypt feature, and it was understood that the second crypt feature was going to be this project we've been, you know, we had found and we were rewriting called. It was originally called Fat Tuesday, and we had changed the title to Dead Easy. It still, was a psychological thriller that took place in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, yeah, everyone, as we all began to work on it, we loved it. And uh, Demon Knight, fortunately, you know, Demon Knight had not succeeded. We would never, there would never have been a second crypt feature. Right. But Ernest did a fantastic job. 
on Demon Knight. It was a good script. Cy and Ethan uh, wrote a great script and he had a great cast. Uh, like I said, Ernest, terrific director. And I think he, he directed the hell out of that. And, and uh, at this point, you know, Demon Knight, a lot of people think of that as a, as it's approaching classic horror movie status. Yeah, hey, the fact that we're still talking about it all these years later, that, that must say something. <laughs> it's still one um, of my favorite movies. Yeah, I love um, Demon Knight. Yeah, it, it's uh, there's there's a lot there's a lot there to to love. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think everyone brought their A game to it, and so Universal said, "Yeah, go do the second. And they approved of you know they must have approved of us doing that easy because they sent this to New Orleans. We spent weeks in New Orleans prepping uh, prepping to you know start production on on uh, Dead Easy, and and uh, we were in New Orleans." Uh, scouting a swamp, actually, when Universal pulled the plug on on uh, Dead Easy oh. and decided that we weren't going to make that movie. We were going to make something called Bordello of Blood instead. Mm. Okay. And the reason for this had nothing to do with us. Mm. Um, they, at about the same time that we were setting up to do this, uh, a company called DreamWorks suddenly came into being. Hmm. Steven Spielberg. And mm-hmm. so Steven stopped being, he ended his deal with Universal. He became a separate entity called DreamWorks on the Universal lot, but he was, you know, he was, he was now a separate thing. And Universal was terribly afraid that this new company, DreamWorks, would begin uh, pilfering other talent. And the other piece of talent they were desperately afraid of losing was Bob Zemeckis because uh, Steven was Bob's mentor. Mm-hmm. Very, very close. And so Universal said to, to Bob, Bob, please don't leave. What can we do to entice you to stay? And so I, I, I don't know what other pieces of that deal were, but they must have been good enough because Bob stayed. But one of the pieces of the deal was, oh, uh, and you'll buy the first student script that, that Bob Gale and I ever wrote when we were at USC. It's called Bordello of Blood. Now, the point of that exercise was simply to put a little bit of money in, in Bob Gale's pocket. You know, Bob Z has been very, very successful. Bob Gale is a very talented man, but he has not been as successful as, as Bob Z. And, and, and being a very loyal, lovely person, Bob Z has always tried to find ways to you know, help his friend Gale out. And so this was a way to put mm-hmm. you know, a quarter million bucks in his pocket for nothing. Uh, uh, a great thing is nothing to Universal, really nothing. Uh, and so Universal made the deal to buy a student script for half a million dollars. But then they turned around, Universal did, and they thought, huh, now, we, we, now we're, we're going to eat half a million dollars and, and, and do nothing with it. We're just going to eat it. And they looked around and they thought, well, hey, wait a minute. Uh, the guy who wrote one of the co-writers of that script, Bob Zemeckis, uh, he's executive producing a horror movie for us. Well, we don't really care about the horror movie he's making. What if we swap out the script they're doing for this one that has Bob Zemeckis' name on it? We'd spent, oh, maybe $50,000 on, on, on uh, Dead Easy on that script and, and, and paying Gil and I for the rewrite and whatever option we had paid the original writer, uh, uh, Mr. Kelly. Uh, but it was nothing compared to the half a million dollars. And so Universal made a, a smart business decision. They, they, rather than eat half a million dollars, they turned around to us and they said, go make this movie instead. Now, our release schedule hasn't hadn't changed. Mm-hmm. We were still three weeks away, you know, we're still mm-hmm. three weeks away from starting principal photography on a movie. It was going to be a different movie now. A oh movie boy. 
whose script we had never seen before. We didn't even know it existed three weeks before we were supposed to start shooting it. Oh, and so boy. they handed us a script called Bordello of Blood written by one of our executive producers. And the first thing they said to me was, now start rewriting it. Oh, and I had three weeks really just to, to do whatever I could to, to update it. Because it was a student script. It was a student script. Hey, written by very talented students, but it's a student script. Right. You know, they had not learned. These were the pre-Back to the Future Bobs. Mm. Two Bobs. You know, they talented, but not that talented yet. Right. <laughs> uh, no, Bob was gracious. He said, you know, because really, you know, this Bob didn't, this was not the point of the exercise when Bob made this deal. This was something that was just happening off to the side. And Bob said, look, guys, do whatever you got to do. Uh, but the problem was we were all dedicated to making Ted Easy. We all loved that movie. This was, a, and again, because it was going to be the second Crip movie, we were all even more inclined to making it very different from, Dead, from, uh, from Demon Knight. Mm -hmm. You know, in my mind, I had Nick Rogue's Don't Look Now. Uh, that that was the movie that I was aspiring to make in my head. And, and really, I, I wanted to, you know, I saw my career going in this different direction. Yeah. Yes, horror, but horror and other stuff. You know, this town, they they pigeonhole you and they won't let you out. And so here was a chance to fly. And so that's what we thought we were going to do. And we really were, yeah, and after weeks in New Orleans, getting excited when they handed us the script called Bordello of Blood. Well, we didn't care about this script. Literally, we didn't want to make it, but we didn't have a choice because if, if, if Gil had passed on directing this and we said, all right, we'll, we'll direct a third one. Well, what if there had, wasn't going to be a third one? And mm -hmm. throwing down a script three weeks before production and saying, go make the movie, this was guaranteed to fail. Oh, yeah. There was no way to succeed here because this is if not how to make a movie, which is what the podcast is called, how not to make a movie. Right. And what we proceeded to do, but, and again, you, one can understand Universal's decision in, 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 in doing this, it, it makes sense, but suddenly they set in motion a series of, of events and circumstances and situations that were, oh, just terrible ripple effects. And, and that's what the whole first season of, of How Not to Make a Movie podcast is all about how a dream turned into an actual nightmare. And really and truly, the making of Bordello of Blood was far scarier than anything in Bordello of Blood. Wow. Um, you know, once we started to, once we started down the road of making Bordello of Blood, um, we, we became a pawn to everything. Um, First of all, we weren't going to make this movie in New Orleans. There's no, no reason to go to New Orleans. All right, so we assumed we were going to make this thing in, New, in, in Los Angeles. But there was another problem because Joel, our executive producer, was always at war with the IA, the, the union that represented our crew. And sometimes Joel was winning and sometimes the union was winning. And the union had just struck us a couple of, a little while before, on a TV movie we did for Fox called Weird World. And they struck us and shut mm. us down. And so... You know, the union had said to Joel, fuck you. And so Joel still had a fuck me, fuck you in his pocket. And this was the fuck you. Uh, mm. We weren't going to make the second Tales from the Crypt movie in, in Los Angeles with our, our crew. We were going to go someplace else just to say fuck you to the IA. <laughs> and so we took our movie to Vancouver because there, was, there were film crews there, not because we wanted to go to Vancouver to make the movie. We went for a completely inorganic reason, which also bit us in the... <laughs> 
is another reason that Joel thought Vancouver. He was making a movie called Assassins at that moment in Seattle with Antonio Banderas and Sylvester Stallone. Mm. Other machinations begin to work because Stallone at the time was engaged to a lovely person named Angie Everhart, a supermodel. But he was apparently tiring of that relationship and was looking to get out. And unbeknownst to us, Sly saw our movie, if he could get his girlfriend cast as the villain in our movie, as a way to unload his girlfriend, fiance, and to, when when the shit got bad, to to say, hey, but I got your movie. (laughs) And so we we didn't know this until everything transpired. But uh, suddenly... You know, when when we went to to cast this movie that we didn't want to do, uh, Joel insisted on casting our three leads. Uh, for the for the lead for the, for the Rafe Goodman part, we wanted Danny Baldwin, mm-hmm. but Joel mm-hmm. insisted on casting Dennis Miller. To this day, I can't tell you why. Gil can't tell you why. Nobody knows why. Mm-hmm. We did not want Dennis Miller. Our audience, our audience didn't care about Dennis Miller. Dennis Miller did, did a, a late night political show for HBO. Uh, Danny Baldwin would have been much more mm-hmm. to our audience, really what, what our audience would, would have needed for, for that role. And Dennis didn't want to do the movie. He, in fact, he so didn't want to do the movie. He said, all right, you give me a million dollars, I'll do it. Figuring no one in their right mind would pay him a million dollars because that would have been a million dollars more than anyone had paid him to be in a movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, hey, very good at this HBO show. I'm sure he was worth every penny to HBO, but he ain't worth a million dollars to be in a movie. Not at that point, not today, at no point. But for some reason, our executive producer, Joel Silver, said yes. Oh. Had half a million bucks in the budget. Oh, jeez. When we turned uh. to, to Universal, our studio, and said, hey, can you help us out? There's a thing called breakage. And they, they'll, they'll, they'll throw the, they'll, without making you make a, a, a budget item, they'll just give you the money. They said, mm-hmm. no, we, we don't care about Dennis Miller. And so we had to take that extra half a million out of our budget. So we had to take that out of our, out of our budget. We had, a, we had a $12 million budget. Mm. Half a million dollars out of our budget, that's a sizable chunk. Well, where was all the money in the budget? Special effects makeup. Because right. that's what our audience comes to our movies to see. Mm-hmm. So we took the, mo- the money out of an area our audience wanted to hand to an actor our audience didn't care about. Oh, and to this day, I cannot tell you why Joel never answered the question. Don't know why. He cast, we cast Dennis Miller. No idea. Hmm. All right. The other, then there was, uh, for the female lead, we wanted, uh, yeah, for the female lead, we wanted, oh, I think her name was Bridget, uh, uh, Bridget Wilson. Uh, Joel wanted Erica Aleniak. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, all right, Erica at least was, a, was someone that our audience would care about. But she wanted a half a million dollars. We had a quarter million dollars in the budget. And he said, <sighs> yes. And again, breakage. So that was three quarters of a million dollars that came out of special effects makeup to pay for two actors, one of whom we wanted, one of whom we we overpaid. Out Mm. of our control, this was Joel insisting on doing all of this. There was nothing we could do. The last, the the biggest casting decision was our villain. Hey, take Billy Zane out of Demon Knight. I don't know that it works quite as well. Billy's fantastic. Yeah, Uh yes. Billy's wonderful. I mean, he's, he's, He's he's wicked fun. Mm-hmm. He is. He's just fun to watch, and and yeah, you can't take your eyes off. Whatever he does is great. He's just yeah, he's a great villain. 
so yeah, we, you know, we know for a fact. Put the money in the villain. The villain's everything. We had read and really wanted to cast Robin Givens. Oh. And we, mm. you know, we were aware of the fact that she was not the easiest person to work for, but we worked for Joel Silver. Difficult personalities were not a challenge to us. We didn't care about that. We, we believed we were going to get a great performance from her, and I, I believe to this day, if we had cast Robin, Robin Givens, hey, it still would have been Bordello of Blood, but I think it would have been a very different movie. Mm-hmm. Look, there's nothing. We could not talk Joel out of the, the idea of casting uh, uh, Angie. Uh, we, when, when, he, when, when he first pitched the idea to us, he, was, he said, I got this great idea, great idea. Bill in your movie could be Angie ever. And we went, what? He went, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> now, he had, he had a movie in the can at that point that had not been released called Fair Game, which starred Cindy Crawford. And Joel believed he was at the he was at the cutting edge of a whole new kind of movies, supermodels as heroes of movies. Mm. Now, while we were in production, Fair Game opened and Cindy Crawford bombed. She's just not very good at it because she's a supermodel. She's very good at being a supermodel. He's not that good at being this thing. If you hand people an assignment beyond their skill set, you cannot be surprised if they don't succeed. Right. Angie is a supermodel. She was learning how to be an actress. She was not ready at that point, certainly in her life. I don't know about today, but certainly at that point in her life, she was not ready to, to be handed such a responsibility to be the villain in a horror movie. Mm-hmm. It was a ludicrous thing to ask this person to do. It's not fair. It, it's a completely unfair ask on, on the part of the employers. And we weren't asking her to do it because we had seen her work and said, wow, there's something in her that tells us she could step up to the next level of her of her own creativeness and do this thing. Mm-hmm. Well, that that's not what happened. That's not why we cast her. We cast her because Sly Stallone said, "Hey, he went up to, to Joel one day on the movies on on, on that set and said, "Hey, Joel, you're making a movie in Vancouver. I put my friend girlfriend, my girlfriend Angie, in, in the movie, and then I could visit her on the weekends." And that's how it was pitched to us that mm-hmm. we could make mm-hmm. an actor on another movie set happy by casting his girlfriend in our movie. And that was why, and, and again, this is not, I, I'm not judging Angie. I'm simply, this is simply the truth of the facts of, of why we cast her. We, and I don't think it was fair of us, it was fair to cast, to cast her. I think she did everything she possibly could with it, but it was not a fair ask. And, and I, like I said, it, it was never going to be great. It was never going to be Demon Knight. It was a student movie. And we had, we had three weeks three weeks to, to, to rewrite it and to get it cast, you know, it wasn't written for Dennis Miller. It wasn't written for anybody. Right. Uh, when you have three weeks mm. to, to write, to rewrite a movie, you don't really have the time to invest in the characters. The, the whole setup was, it was written by film students. Right. And so, for instance, the, the main character is a, uh, is a detective, a private detective working in a small Southern town. Honestly, how much employment is a, is, a, is a detective going to get in a small southern town? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's already, he already doesn't make sense. There's, there's, a, there's a, a logic problem right there at the core mm-hmm. of his being. And so he, he doesn't make sense. Uh, who, who is he? Well, all right, if you want to, exp- okay, all right. One could explore how, how he ended up here, but that's an exploration of a character. That's right. not a horror movie. Uh, the mandate is I, I don't want uh, we don't want to have to care that much about him and, and if I got to explain that much 
Oh boy. So uh, there was no way really to, to invest in any of the characters. We cast Erica to be in a movie called Bordello of Blood. Mm-hmm. Now we, we didn't finish the deal. We couldn't close the deal with Erica until we were already in production. Gil has a little thing he likes to do. He likes to start production on a Thursday. Then you shoot two days. And if you have any profound problems, you have the weekend to fix them before going to, back to work on Monday morning. So we had started uh, production with some small scenes, not with any of our, our you know, uh, Corey Feldman, I think, had to have some, some work on, on the Thursday, Friday. But we didn't work with any of our, of our leads until Monday, Tuesday. And on, uh, on, you know, on Tuesday. So we, Erica was supposed to fly up on, on Sunday for wardrobe on Monday for work on Tuesday. And on Saturday, I'm having a conversation with her manager about the fact that Erica will not come up and do the part unless we do a revision because she's, she doesn't want to play those kind of characters anymore. The character was written as a, a, a former porn star. Uh, and she didn't want to play a former porn star. Mm-hmm. You took the part, you, but you took the part <laughs> of a former porn star yeah. in a movie called Bordello of Blood. What, what, how can you be telling me this at the last second before you fly up that you're not going to do it unless I rewrite the whole bloody part? But she insisted and she had us by the short and curlies. And so I'm there negotiating with her manager who ironically was a former porn actor. Mm, <laughs> and so he's commiserating with me for how ludicrous this is but there's only so much he can do because it's his client she wants what she wants and so what we have ultimately negotiate is that all right she's not she's a she was a former porn actress but she also was heavy and where she used to be called chesty o'toole now she was called oh i forget chubby o'toole i think was oh my <laughs> oh, god boy. Oh my, even 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 just reminding myself what we came up with just to fix the problem i'm disgusted i'm I'm, sickened. I'm just oh my god but yes so she agreed that she had been, uh yeah that that was the thing all right so now her character you so that means all right so and then i had to go and fix the rave goodman character because the way that that they were gonna that there was a hookup was that when she comes to uh to, to be a client of his, he recognizes her as a former porn star and he's a big fan. Mm-hmm. So there was a whole connection there. Well, now we got to go to, I got to go to Dennis Miller and tell him, oh, by the way, uh, your whole connection to, to the character isn't that she was a porn star. She was a heavy porn star and you really liked that. Okay. <laughs> you know so I've got to go tell Dennis Miller this. Now, this is after, all right. So Dennis... Uh, right. So I agree to all this, and I'm I'm now agreeing to write to rewrite this film script heavily between this point Saturday and Monday when everyone shows up to work. So that's my mm-hmm. Sunday now. Great. Now on Monday morning, uh, I meet Dennis Miller for the first time. He flies up, and uh, he's uh, we're we were shooting Monday morning at a, a strip club, the uh, the Orange in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a very famous strip club. The uh, um, yeah, and so uh, the first thing that Dennis does when he arrives, he comes to the set, and I we meet. Hello, nice to meet you. Uh, he makes a joke about a, a, a character actor named oh, uh, a character actor, obscure joke. I get the joke, and he and he looks at me like can't see. So I think for two seconds we're going to be friends, and then I hand him the script. Uh-huh. Now, 
I know the script isn't written for him and I, I know it's not very funny. I mean, we've tried as much as we can, but there's no character there. Writing comedy, really, it comes from character. Mm-hmm. And having no character to work from, I, I, what's the point of reference? Mm-hmm. Right. And so I, I know this is an unwritten character and I know it's not very funny and I know it's not written for Dennis Miller. And I've just made a change to the character where, oh, by the way, uh, y- you also have a strange little peccadillo that you're going to have to perform. You're going to have to to be at peace with your, you're, yeah, you have a particular sexual taste. Oh boy. And I, he opens the script to the very first line. He looks at it and he points to it right there. And he says, I can't say it. And he closes the script, and he closes the script and he says, I can't say any of this. And he says, look, you know, I, I'm, here's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to improv all my lines. Now, I can't argue with the man because it's not like I'm going to say, no, Dennis, you got to say these lines. It's brilliant. Citizen Kane, man. You got to say every goddamn line. That's <laughs> it's Hamlet, you asshole. I, I can't say that. And uh, part of the podcast is my confession that I was, when I made that movie, Bordello Blood, I was not a good producer. I sucked. Mm. I was a weak producer. And one of my weaknesses was I, well, I, 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 I didn't want to be making that movie. If I'd been making a Demon Dead Easy, I think I'd have been a lot more passionate. I didn't care. Right. This was, this was, I, these were problems I didn't want to have and solving them, I didn't care. And so right. dealing with Dennis, hey, the path of least resistance, uh, what was I, I'm going to argue with the man. Right. <laughs> so he decides he's going to improvise all his dialogue, which is exactly what mm. he does. And so consequently, because he improvised every last bit of his dialogue, there were bits and pieces of, of information for the story that's never made it in the script. Ah, uh, yes. And so, you know, the script, yeah, we cut it together, but oh man, <laughs> there's, there's scenes that never <laughs> made sense in the cut because there was information that was missing because Dennis never said it. Right. Now, throw in, and, and again, look, Dennis, when we cast Dennis, that's who we got. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dennis was not my idea. It was my executive producers. But if it's my executive producers, then I got to live with it. Mm-hmm. And I got to make peace with it. Right. Uh, and I, I don't think I ever made peace with it. Dennis was doing his HBO show at the time. Uh, and they rehearsed on Thursday, shot on Friday. Well, that meant that he wasn't available Thursday or Friday unless we changed our week. And that's what we did to accommodate Dennis. We made Saturday or Monday. Sunday was our Tuesday. Well, that's not the deal. Our crew, our Canadian crewmate. Oh boy. We we live to work. They work to live. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Much health, much healthier. And they didn't want to spend their they would spend their weekends with with their families mm-hmm. doing stuff they enjoyed in Vancouver in a, in a lovely summer. They didn't want to be on a film set working for an actor who really within my ten minutes they hate it. And so. It's not like we could, you know, Dennis turned around to the crew and said, guys, I need you to do me this huge favor. No such thing ever happened. We just did. We just did it. And so the crew was never happy with that decision. We didn't have a choice. Uh, And then because he was, because he was doing a show, he was always tired. So he would send his assistant to me first thing in the morning. We got Dennis the best trailer in Vancouver, not in our budget, but we paid for it. Yeah. Uh, and every morning his assistant would come to me and she would say, um, Dennis is really tired. Is there any way we can shoot him out early today? And uh, I was, again, not a strong producer. And so I'd go, okay, sure. And so what we would do is we would shoot Dennis's side of every scene. And so Dennis would work his side of the scene. We'd shoot the you know, cameras pointed toward Dennis. 
And the other actors were off camera working with Dennis. And then after lunch, we turn around to do the other side of the scenes, mm -hmm. shooting towards the other actors. Well, Dennis was back at his hotel. And so the second AD is really who worked with all the, the actors on yeah. their scenes. But of course, Dennis's lines were all improvised. Oh boy. And so the other actors <laughs> worked with the second with, with the script, with the script supervisor reading Dennis's improvised lines. We didn't, which didn't necessarily mesh with their lines. Oh boy. You know, they, we had tried to accommodate it when they were doing it the first time, but it just didn't always jibe. And and now oh boy. So now we begin to have a a a a a, a badly made jigsaw puzzle of bits and pieces of scenes that that don't necessarily cut together quite the way that we need them to. And the other actors, because Dennis isn't there to support them the way they were there to support Dennis, well, they begin to resent him. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so this too begins to fester on our set. Oh boy. Uh, you know, the fact that no one, none of the crew and none of the other actors are fond of Dennis. Uh, and I must say one of the, the most professional, all the other actors were terrific. Uh, Corey Feldman was wonderful. Mm -hmm. And she was wonderful to work with. She was very professional uh, in, in, in doing her work. Uh, uh, Chris Sarandon, wonderful. Everyone was terrific. Uh, Phil Fondacaro, professional, great, great to work with. A stud. I had no idea. The man's a stud muffin. <laughs> most, ama most amazing thing. You know, we put up our, 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 all of our actors at the, uh, uh, the Sutton Place Hotel. Man, man, the... That guy had a, he had women lined up trying to get into his room. Wow. <laughs> that guy had, a, I, I, wow, wow, Bill Fondacaro, stud. <laughs> you know, the, the other thing that we did, the, the, uh, the other thing that we did on Bordello, which, which was just uh, stupid. And every day was stupider than the day before. <laughs> As I said, we went to Vancouver for completely inorganic reasons, not because we wanted to go to, to or, Vancouver to make the movie. It was July. We're making a horror movie. Horror movies, most horror movies rely on a great deal of night to mm -hmm. shoot it. One of the things you don't get very much of that far north in July is night. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, in July, the sky gets shootable dark around about 11. Uh -huh. you know, call it night and around about 2 30 in the morning is when you get your first signs of visible light oh boy uh -huh. and so hey we rely on a 12-hour shooting day mm. we had four hours of really and and you're not shooting that whole four hours there's really you're, you're shooting a fraction of that four hours so really we we went someplace we went to the wrong place we were in the wrong physical location on the globe mm -hmm. to make our horror movie and then you know, the climax was written to take place in a glass church. I had in my mind here in, in, in L.A., there's a in Garden Grove, a guy named Bob Schuler built himself a crystal cathedral. Someone else owns it now. But, uh, you know, that was that was what I wrote in the script. And because it was in the script, we found a location in right. Vancouver, uh, B.C. place. Great. Terrific. It was exactly it. But uh, we had one night to shoot the, the climax. Oh boy! In a glass, in a glass <laughs> building. Mm -hmm. Well, obviously that was never going to work, and we knew it going into it, and it was just, you know, we we contemplated blacking out all the glass, but no, that wasn't in our budget, right? Um, and so you know, we ended up taking that down with us to to Los Angeles. 
the podcast really tells the story of, of, of how, you know, of, of what happens when, when you do things for all the wrong reasons and it's nothing good. It, 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 it's about the story of, of Hollywood craft turning to crap. When Gil and I talk in the podcast, when, when we have guests in the podcast and all the people who worked on, on, on Crypt, one of the things that we all bring to, to the table is tremendous passion for filmmaking. Mm-hmm. For, for every last bit of the craft of screenwriting, to the craft of producing, the craft of directing, uh, of production design, all of it, we're, we're craftspeople. And we're storytellers, and this is, this is how we tell stories. This is our, this is our, our, our media. That, I think, is... is well, that, that's, that's what this conversation is about. I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about this. I, I, I love this kind of storytelling. And I love the fact that our, our audience loves it. And I, I love having this conversation because it's about something that we, we all love together. One thing I do want to mention while, while we're, we're all together here, uh, on Saturday, December 17th, uh, we're going to do a, a, a a script reading for charity. We're gonna we're gonna read Dead Easy, the the, the second tell mm. feature film that never was. That's very we're, cool. We're gonna do a script reading uh, entirely for charity for the Motion Picture Home. Uh, this is the when 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 film people retire if they can't afford, you know, you know film is not the most reliable way to make mm-hmm. a buck. This is the organization that takes care of film people in need. The MPTF, oh, cool. the Motion Picture Home. Uh, that's oh, amazing. They're, they're wonderful. So we we know Gil's Gil has people who were there and and God they they would be so they'd be nowhere without the the motion picture home. So we want to do uh you know something to help them this this holiday season. And so the we're going to do a script reading of Dead Easy. Uh, we will not touch a penny. All money will be directed to the motion picture home, and then your your receipt for your donation will be your ticket into the script reading. And we're going to read an ad, an adapted version of the screenplay for Dead Easy, wait, the wait. Tales from mm. the Crypt feature that never was. And it gets even better. Uh, we're going to have have a brand new Crypt Keeper segment. We're we're uh, John Casier and I are writing it over the weekend. We're going to do a whole new Crypt Keeper segment. But it gets even better than that because John is going to play the villain. Oh, and nice. John Kassir is going to be the villain. And I, I was just talking to Victoria Burroughs today. We're, we're going over the casting. There are some, some uh, there's impossible the casting for, for this group reading is going to be really cool. There are some very cool people who are we're talking to about doing this with us. December 17th. December 17th at noon mm-hmm. Pacific time. Uh, and again, uh, uh, go to uh, hownottomakeamovie.com for information. Mm-hmm a table script reading of dead easy for the emotion picture home okay i'll put that in the description thank you thank mm-hmm. you thank you thank you thank you please 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 it that is, is such so a wonderful cool. and worthy cause is that is that also going to be available through um like streaming platforms for people yes, who yes, can't we're, obviously we're, we're, physically attend yeah we're going to do it live uh it, it, you know we're we're working on on how the connection you know it'll be a live event that people can can attend via i, I think there'll be a way for them to to go to our It'll either be on, on our Patreon page or, or our YouTube channel uh, and people can land them, they can watch and there'll be a, a separate place that they can go to if they want to ask questions at the end. Oh, excellent. So there will excellent. be, hopefully, hopefully there'll be a chance for people to, because we want, we want to get, we want everyone's feedback. You know, this was, all right, so this was, this was the second Tales from the Crypt movie that uh, could have, should have, would have been. What do we mm-hmm. all think? Man, that sucks. Now I'm very upset so cool. because yeah. I was not a fan of Bordello of Blood. Yeah, well, neither was I. And so I just, I, I kind of need to know what we messed out on. 
well, I'm hey, starting man, to think I'm the only one who liked Bordello of Blood. That, you know, <laughs> it's it's okay. It, 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 it's, it's, it's okay. okay. I, I I I can't watch it without you know it's 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 the bastard child I could never love. This is a very cool patch of time here. Doing the podcast had such a strange effect. It it changed the direction of of my life. Uh, it suddenly put me back in touch with everyone that, that I'd worked with in the past that I, I didn't know that I was going to get back in touch with, especially Gil. We had been estranged for 25 years. Wow. We had talked a couple of times. Mm. That's it. The whole reason where the podcast came from, um, uh, there's a fan group, Dads from the Crypt. After Jason said, hey, we're going to be reviewing the second uh, Crypt movie, Bordello of Blood. Would you like to do an interview for that? And I said, well, Jason... The story of <laughs> Bordello of Blood, the story of the making of Bordello of Blood is uh, is way more than one little half-hour interview. That's a whole podcast right. itself. And suddenly I said, hey, if you would do this with me, and I, I wanted them to be part of the process because, again, it's like what we're talking about here. When I did tell some of the group, when I did all those things, I had no relationship with you all, with our fans. Right. <laughs> You know, I was in one place and you were someplace else, very remote. This new world is fantastic that we all get to to talk to each other. And mm-hmm. I love this. I adore this. Um, so when when we started doing the podcast, you know, it suddenly we, we our relationship rekindled and we we talked about our breakup on mic for the first time. We oh, never talked about it before. Cool. What what you hear in the podcast when we find finally confront <clears throat> that we broke up, why we broke up, and the fact that we hadn't talked in all these years. It was the first time we ever talked about it was on mic, and it's there. It's really honest. I did not edit it one bit, and it was cathartic. Oh, that's and, good. And we started working together again. So the second season, of the podcast, Gil and I do together. Uh, but that's we excellent. also. But we, also started, we also started creating together. We're working on uh, a couple of TV shows, but one right now that I'm so excited about, I can't tell you. Oh, it is, it's great. It is, <laughs> this is, this is, uh, it's, all right. It's kind of uh, Walking Dead meets uh, um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer meets Sweeney Todd. Oh, mm. okay. It is, it is I, I it's not tales from the crypt because it's not an anthology. It's, it's a, it's a series. It's, it's a mm-hmm. streaming series. Uh, but I can tell you, it will have the crypt keepers soul. Oh, nice. Okay. It will, it will be the, the, the mandate that Gil and I put in front of ourselves, what we want the show to be, what we thought tales from the crypt was why we love doing it. Two words, wicked fun. Mm. Perfect. That's what yep. we're after. We want our audience, we, we want to be laughing at things that we should not be laughing at because they're horrifying. Mm-hmm. And I think what we're, what we're, what we're working on, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm biased, but we're having, <laughs> we're having so much fun doing it just like we did in the old days. And that always ended up, hey, with our audience feeling the same way about it as we did. So my hope is that if, if, we're ha- if we're having this much fun creating it, when we get to the next step, you all will have as much, hopefully even more fun. Man, I'm so excited. That's wonderful. Again, we're, Gil and I are both resurrecting ourselves to a degree. Hey, we're in the horror business. Resurrection is, is, mm-hmm. 
is always right a possibility. <laughs> right. There you go. But but again, it, it it's about material. And, and I think we're going to have something that that uh, no one has seen before. It's brand new. It really it's it ain't werewolves. It ain't zombies. It's something that's been sitting right in front of all of us. And I think Gil and I found it. That's really exciting. I'm really glad you came. We were wondering. Well, I'm so, glad, I'm so glad you you asked me. This is such a wonderful conversation. And hey, let's. How about we continue the conversation? Yeah, mm, absolutely. Let's Good let's not be there. let's not be strangers. Hey? No, we will not be strangers. You you mm-hmm. will see me. I will be all in your mentions. Uh, I will never <laughs> go away. <laughs> and, 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 hey, you know uh, that that should go both ways. Whatever I can do to really to to just let me know. Like I said, we're we're all in this together. Absolutely. People are going to be so excited. You no, know, it's a symbiotic relationship. And, and the more excited we are about all this, the better it is for, for all of us. So, you Absolutely. Know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. You're excited. Let's all be excited together. Yeah, it's we, amazing. Oh, we are. This is great. Mm-hmm. This is the number one place for macabre cults, classics, and horrors. For synopsis, reviews, and news, go to macabre.com. Thank you for listening. Signing out until the next one.